Nick, hello and welcome to the Inspiring Future Leaders podcast. I am truly, truly honoured to have you here with me today and really looking forward to our chat. Great to be here. I'm not sure you'll need introducing to many people who will hear this podcast as you're such an icon in the customer success and SaaS worlds. But if you could please briefly introduce yourself to those who may not have heard of you and then we'll get started. Yeah, thank you again, Kelly. Really honoured to be here and I love just the idea of all of us learning about leadership because we're always learning. So I'm Nick Maida, CEO of Gainsight. That's, I guess, what I'm best known for. Gainsight, Gainsight, we're passionate about really changing the way businesses think about their customers and realizing that in, in the modern world, vendors can't just think about building products and then shipping them and selling them and the job being done. You got to make sure the customers adopted what they've bought, they've onboarded well, they're using it, they're getting value in order that they will stay with you, renew, expand, become advocates over time. People call that whole process customer success. And you know, from 2013, when we launched, we've been really passionate about companies adopting the customer success model. And then we build technology that helps scale customer success you know, across your CSM team, uh, your product in the product itself, anal analytics around product usage and things like that. And even now, most recently, with customer community as well. Excellent. Uh, and obviously, I'm very well familiar with the customer success world and Gainsight. You started off by saying that you're CEO of Gainsight, which is what you're best known for. What are you less known for? Well, I guess at this point, everything's on YouTube. But uh, I'm, I'm known for many, many things from making really silly parody music videos, which is what I do love. Uh, and, and just in general, we... One of our values at Gainsight is childlike joy, which we can talk more about from a culture perspective. And I think we've become known as a company that does enjoy what we do. I do love what I do, and I'm very grateful. And then I've got a grateful also for our, our, my wife of 21 years, our three kids who are 15, 13, and nine. I'm into a lot of things. I read a lot. I love philosophy, physics, science, history. Um, I'm a big pop music fan, everything from uh, Taylor Swift to Bruce Springsteen to Hamilton, the musical. Um, yeah, I just, I love life and so grateful to be able to experience lots of things. I also love, you know, exercise in the outdoors and, and that type of stuff too. Love it. Thank you very much. Weirdly, I've never gone down that road with anybody else on the podcast so far, but having seen you speak at conferences and just the content that you share on social media, I know that you're very open and transparent and bring everything with you when you speak in any of these environments. So thank you for that. We can talk more about it, but one of our core principles of Gainsight, we call it human first business. The idea that we can't forget that like, you know, forget about the job titles and the LinkedIn profiles and, you know, hierarchy. I'm a human being, you're a human being, Kelly. Like, and so we try to bring that human perspective, both in terms of how we show up, but then also trying to, when we think about all the other people we're working with, whether it's our teammates, our customers, the community around us, you know, our investors, everyone's just a human being at the end of the day. It's like you've read my questions, Nick. <laughs> exactly. Human first was exactly where I was going to go with this chat to begin with. Obviously, I've been following the work that you, Dan Steinman, the rest of the Gainsight crew have been doing for many years, and I've been quite closely involved, particularly right. when brought Pulse over to Europe. I've helped with delivering Pulse Academy Live. I've spoken at most of your conferences over here. And I'm very drawn to Gainsight. I think Dan has often called me an honorary gangster, for which yes. I'm also very honoured. And one of the most thrilling moments for me was hearing your first talk around the human first 
business perspective at Pulse Europe a number of years ago. Uh, and I remember standing at the back of the uh, plenary hall listening to you and talking to a colleague about how this might be revolutionary, not only in the world of business, but just in the world today, which is something that I've become very passionate since hearing that talk. So uh, not unsurprisingly, you mentioned human first business right off the bat there. Where does that come from for you? Where did the ideology rise from? Was it things that you had experienced that you liked or not liked? Where did it arise? Yeah, totally. I'm happy to share. And you've heard some of the story, but really for, for many of us, many things go back to our childhood. A couple of important backstory elements for, for folks that are listening. Today, I'm actually somebody who's very comfortable with people. And I've been fortunate to get to know tens of thousands of people and speak in big conferences and all that. As a kid, I was very lonely and shy. And I just, I didn't have any friends. I like ate alone every day. And I just really felt like just didn't fit in. And so this idea of human connection has always been something that, frankly, I wanted. <laughs> I wanted friends and people. And so I think we carry whatever is our childhood with us for, going forward. The other thing that happened in my childhood is I have amazing parents, but definitely they're very ambitious about what their kids accomplish. And my mom, she always wanted me to be a doctor or a scientist. And that's why I'm into science too. And if you know, I have a, like an Albert Einstein poster behind me, actually, which we're in California now, but this is the poster that my parents put above my bed when I was a little, little kid. I think it was like subliminal messaging, <laughs> like, hey, maybe you can go into science. And so my mom, you know, she actually grew up in India and she studied physics actually in the 60s, but was never able to kind of make it a career. Just, just, it was harder, especially for women in India back then. And so I think she had this unfulfilled dream and of course, with unfulfilled dreams, what do you do? You give them to your kids. And so my mom always was like, oh, it'd be great if you go into science. And so a few years ago, this is probably six, seven years ago now, I took my parents out to dinner and I get to see them a lot, which I'm very fortunate they're still around. And I remember my mom saying, Nick, you, it's so great. You're still into science. You read a lot about science, but then it's too bad you didn't go into science because you really could have done something with your life. And then my dad, who tries to like make it better, says, Oh, no, Mina, no, it's okay. I mean, he's just in his 40s. He still has time to do something with his life. He thought that that made him better. And my mom said, no, he's too old, but maybe his kids can do something with their lives. So my mom switched all her energy to like focusing on our poor kids now. <laughs> it wasn't just, just that story, but things like that do make me wonder what's like the point of everything that we're doing, right? Because I'm not one of those people who can go and look at Gainsight's software and customer success and say, oh, wow we are changing the world and saving humanity through customer success. I'm not saying that's not important. I do think it's important. I think our products are great. I think customer success is great, but there's a lot of things in the world and we're not like Moderna or Pfizer, right? We're not Elon Musk taking people to Mars, right? We're, we have some things that are, I think are important, but I think we're realistic about where we fit into the world. But the question was, can we still have a purpose and an impact? Because it's great to have a purpose, right? And if your purpose isn't directly about the COVID drugs that you're making or saving the earth, is there an indirect purpose you can have? And so one of the beliefs I've always had actually for a long, long time is that like work is a huge part of our lives. Like it really is. And so when you're a CEO, you have this responsibility for if you have five people working for you or, you know, like us, 1150 people, those people, like it's a big chunk of their lives every day. It's not just like the hours, but like their joy, their satisfaction or their frustration. And you have an ability to make an impact on them. And what I felt like I'd been taught as a kid, even as an adult about business was, you can't let those feelings get in the way. You can't let the people get in the way. You gotta be rational. You gotta be brutal. People talk about wartime CEOs and people talk about employees being important assets and 
people talking about leave your feelings at the door and you can't let all these things that over the years, like there's a famous scene in, in The Godfather, you know, one of the best movies of all time where Michael Corleone says, uh, it's not personal, it's just business, right? And many, many of us have heard that, that phrase, it's not personal, it's just business. And so basically in some way, trying to prove to my parents, but probably really to myself that there is something important about what I'm doing. We basically said, look, maybe there's a different way to run a company. And by the way, I wouldn't say we're the first people to think about this, but maybe there's a way where you can not forget that companies were created for people. Companies didn't exist in the stone ages. There was no companies where like cave people were building fires and stuff. Companies were an idea, I think a very good idea, created to help better the lives of people. But I think sometimes we've lost that spirit with companies. They just need to maximize profit. That's what they were meant to do. We are the ones who made them so we can decide what we want to do with them. And so the, the idea was we wrote up our purpose statement and it was, to be living proof, you can win in business while being human first. And the idea was, it's not the only way to win. Clearly, you can win in business by being brutal and Machiavellian and not caring about anyone. It's obvious because there's thousands of examples like that. But is there a way to win the other way? To win enough, at least. Maybe not be you know, worth $10 trillion or whatever, but at least be successful and, and to be living proof so other people might want to do it too. I think what we're talking about is quite similar to what some people talk about is stakeholder capitalism. Salesforce and others talk about that. It's just the idea that can winning be defined as more than just shareholder value? And at the end of the day, can we remember that every single person we interact with in business is before they're a CEO, before they're an investor, before they're the customer or the deal or the renewal, they're a human being. They're a human being that like literally is trying to impress their parents or more time with their kids or is struggling at home or it feels lonely, right? Like those things are all universal. And so that's human first to me became like the mission of Gainsight. So customer success and software and making money were a means to an end and human first was the end. I am nodding away furiously as you're Yeah, speaking. I love it. You said there, you look at what Gainsight does and we're not saving the world. And I get that six years ago, I left my last full-time job in order to take a six month sabbatical to mm. breathe and to sleep because we're- Great. Startup is hard, right? Yeah. Uh, to see my friends and family and remind them that I still existed and do a bit. Of <laughs> At the end of the six months, I was like, I've done some volunteering in some African countries. And I thought, how am I going to go back and help successful people be more successful when there's so much else in the world that needs to be supported and addressed? So I went and did a long term volunteer stint in Ghana, in Africa for a while. And when I came back, hearing you speak at Pulse, Nick, I think actually there is a potential that organizations like Gainsight and CEOs like yourselves actually could be saving the world by reminding people that organizations do exist to bring people together, that people are humans. One of my passions is encouraging people to adopt customer success, not just as that customer success discipline, but across the entire business. It's a business philosophy and imperative that if we all embrace in the business world, we would be in a kinder environment. We would be in a more fulfilled and motivating environment. There's a, a large sentiment in the world of selfishness and greed, extreme capitalism, I call it. Right. Just bring it back a little bit where we do remember that we're in this to be connected to each other and to help each other as well as ourselves. I think your organization, as an example, is just a shining light. And you're right, you're not the only people that do it, but unfortunately you are few and far between. But we all crave it. Everyone I talk to craves it. So I love that you decided, whether it's your parents pushing their ambition, <laughs> or which I thank them if that is the reason we are in this state right now. Oh, 100% agree, Kelly, yeah. Whatever reason you are here, I applaud you. I think it's amazing that Gainsight have that purpose statement 
and that you are driving human first business. I really love it. One thing, by the way, just to resonate with what you said, that's interesting. You, when people think about their purpose and all that, it is, it's daunting because you're like, what impact can I make? Not just in business, just in general. We all have that. And of course, there's some people that figure out some way to build something that affects every person directly in the world. And, and that's awesome. I do think that there's some truth to what you said, which is if each person actually in their own way is able to live life with the values that they are aspiring to and, and the way that they want the world to work and maybe inspire other people to do it, there is a virtuous cycle that happens and other people do it and other people do it. Yeah. And so strangely, like changing the world does start with, as they say, change oneself and, and then change the world. Absolutely. This colleague and I were having this conversation whilst you were on stage and just that extra step of understanding and hope, really, that if we could all embrace this way of doing business and being human, we could actually improve the world for everybody because we're all overwhelmed, we're all stressed. Totally. Um, and if we can reduce that in some way and extend that to the larger social challenges that we experience in the world, then I think that would be an incredible step forward. I get that I'm idealistic in a lot of ways, but I do think that, as you say, if we all just take one step in the right direction, it could make a, a massive difference. And that's part of the reason for this podcast. There are lots of inspiring leaders in place. And I think there's lots of inspiring people at all stages of their career and ages, because I think anyone can be a leader. And I wanted to contribute to the conversations around that so that maybe we could take some steps forward. Practically, though, you've got a purpose statement. How do you embed that into your day to day? you were a small company when you created that purpose right how did you instill it in the day-to-day -day when you were a small company and how have you managed to maintain that because you've had phenomenal growth over the last number of very short years really since I first known you give us some practical steps as to how you put that in place in the first instance and how you keep that going as you grow yeah thank you for saying that Kelly and, and you're totally right that's like the, the hard conversations how do you scale your culture and values and things you believe as your company gets bigger as you're leading a bigger team and you totally know us. Thanks to you for being part of that community in the very beginning, right? When, you know, when we were 20, 30, 40, 50 people in yeah. Gainesville. Now today we're about 1,150 people. So it's, it's something that I think about all the time. I think that there's many, many, many things we do, but I'll just share like a few kind of types of things that I think help make an impact. One thing is I think if you're the CEO or even if you're a leader of any kind, what you talk about is what people think is important. For example, when I do the employee onboarding, then the last year we probably hired maybe 50 people a month. So it was a lot. And I would, you know, do a Zoom with them and say, hey, welcome to Gainsight. And of course, there were a lot of different sessions that people covered, but my session was just about human first and the values. That's it. We have five values that basically underpin human first. Childlike joy is one example of that. And all I would talk about in the first time people would hear from me is about those values. And I have like, slides on each of them and how to make them real. Just like you give a sales pitch for your product, I have the, the very detailed narrative on the values. That would be interesting for a leader to be able to say, could you articulate the values or culture of your team? And you do that upfront in the very beginning. That's one thing that I think has helped. A second thing is actually being very external about all of this. So in some ways it's kind of meta, but what we're doing right now, where a lot of what I talk about publicly in conferences and podcasts, on videos is about our value and our culture and the human first. And what that does is, first of all, when you talk about something publicly, you're like, oh, I better do that. Like I did the podcast and later on today, if I was in some situation where I wasn't human first, I feel like a hypocrite. And by the way, I'm not perfect. So I definitely make tons of mistakes, but I think about all the time because of the external stuff. 
So I think putting yourself out there, it's like um, sometimes when people want to get in better shape or lose weight or whatever they want to do, they'll actually tell their friends, hey, I'm trying to do X, Y, and Z. Can you support me? And that actually gives you a little bit of like public commitment. A third thing that I think is important is sharing the stories about how the company has lived these values or how your team has lived these values. I made a presentation recently in a blog post. It was called What Ted Lasso and My Mom Have Taught Me About Purpose. Ted Lasso is a you know popular TV show in America, which I love. It's actually all about leadership and belief. And we have it here too. Yeah, you guys have it too. And I always feel <laughs> awkward talking to a, a Brit about Ted Lasso because it's exactly like the American version of what people think about England. And so, but I definitely learned a lot about UK football. Oh, we love it. It's so we good. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. And so in that blog post, I, I actually share, I shared this with our company and uh, all of these stories about what human first has meant to us. And in the analogy of Ted Lasso, just to give you some examples of the flavor of it, when an employee leaves a company, one of the things a lot of employers do badly is handle that process poorly. First of all, they make the person feel bad about leaving. They don't talk to other people openly that they left. Maybe they, they cut off ties with them. And we try to do the exact opposite. First of all, when somebody says they're leaving, which by the way, I've been running Gates at nine years. So tons of people have told me they're leaving. Let's be honest. And when they do, my first reaction is, thank you for all you've done here. And second is congratulations on whatever you're going to go do next. And third is always, oh yeah, what can we learn for the future? I have the same three things across hundreds and hundreds of calls I've done. I share that as a narrative. When people move on and if it's somebody I knew and they do their LinkedIn update, I always go, congratulations, amazing, great job. I know that people then on social media would see that because I have a lot of you know people that follow me and they'd be like, oh wow, that person left Gainsight. And I'm like, yeah, I'm so excited that they took a CRO job or a CCO job or whatever. And so I'm very proud about our alumni. I'll give you another example. I've told this one a bunch of times because I think it's exactly the type of thing you need to do in Human First. We had a situation where we had a longtime customer and um, they were a huge advocate of using Gainsight really well. And there was a new executive who came in who just didn't know Gainsight. She'd come from Salesforce. There was nothing against Gainsight. She'd just done everything in Salesforce, which is totally understandable from her vantage point. And so unfortunately, it was like two weeks before the renewal. So yeah. she came in and churned Gainsight. And I don't blame her just she made that decision but it was a bummer we're we're like we care a lot about our customers and for people that are in customer success listening that always hurts now a few weeks after that this person sent me linkedin and said hey i'm unfortunately i just got laid off from this company and would love to get your input on your roles if you know anyone looking and that's like a perfect example of where human first shows up yeah this person turned your software but they're a human being and they're looking for a job and can you help them and i ended up making some intros and she did appreciate the intros right and maybe down the road, she becomes a customer. Maybe she doesn't. Who cares? Like she needed help. Every week I do probably about five to 10 calls with people helping them on career stuff or finding a job or their startup or whatever, which may long-term have some help for Gamesight, but are not, it's not some transactional thing. And so I think sharing these kinds of stories, by the way, they're not just me. I mean, our team has done so many things, helping our customers find jobs, helping our customers when they go through tough life situations. And so having that storytelling about what are the things we've done. So if you're a new person, you get a sense of what those things are. And now those are things we've done today, but this is something I think about all the time. How do we keep it going? So just to give you two examples of what we're looking to do in this next year, we have a manager training that we actually call human first leadership. And that's something we've done for a while. And we're really infusing that with the deep stories of what it means to be human first leader and what the principles are. And so we're really trying to design a manager training because as you scale a company, your managers are what who really convey your values to the world. And we're trying to create a similar training for employees as well. If, if there's one takeaway from all this, it starts with you personally caring about it and people seeing that you care about it. It then turns into 
the stories and the narratives and the examples and reinforcing those. And then it turns into formalized training and learning as you scale. And so you think about the different phases of how you keep a culture going. That's fantastic. Nick. I could sit here and listen to you for days. I just, oh. I love all your stories. I love the way that you articulate. And obviously I love the values that you have. One thing that I just really wanted to pick up on there, as you said, obviously it's not just me. The whole team is talking yeah. about and sharing the stories but it is important that it is you that is sharing widely and publicly and visibly because if it's not seen to be really embraced by the top of the tree then it's not really going to be embedded as a culture is it that's exactly right Kelly. and by the way i think one of the biggest tragedies is situations where people aren't authentic and the companies aren't authentic and i think that's what really breaks trust right say one thing and do another. And so to me, there's really two ways people can have values in a company. One way, which I think there's a lot of companies that have this culture and values are a means to an end. So the end is trying to make money. And if we want to make money, we need a team. So we need to hire people and people are going to want a good culture. I think it's fine. The worst thing those companies can do though is claim that it's like the the end all be all goal because it's very obvious it's not. And it just becomes a little bit hollow. And that's those companies are ones where the CEO doesn't really care about the values. And maybe the HR leader pulled the values from somebody else's website. And that's where it feels a little icky. So I actually like the extremes. I respect the hedge fund people, not all hedge fund people, but some of them that might be like, our values make money. And I think that's cool. If you're an employee, you go in and if it says that on the door, then you don't feel any lack of trust. And then on the other extreme, for me, the values and the purpose are the goal. Making money, selling software, going public, whatever happens is a means to an end, not the end. And I think people appreciate that because that's true for me. And the worst is in the middle. These companies that say, yeah, it's the most important thing and customers are our number one priority, but nobody actually believes that they just found it off somebody else's website. (laughs) And that's a really important distinction there because it is very clear from every conversation I've ever had with anybody that knows me and from the podcast episodes I've released so far that I'm on the human first element. That is my end of the scale. You hit my buzzword there, which is authentic. You have to be authentic about these things because it's very obvious to spot inauthenticity and therefore as you say lose trust and and not really know where your position is where do you stand but actually that transparency if what you want is profit first and there are people in the world who are clearly like that and if you know that then that's the sort of company that you can gravitate towards that's right as you say you know it walking in the door so you can't feel blindsided by it once you're in there and vice versa If you're going to pretend that you're a human first organization and you're going to pretend you've got a set of values, they have to come from within. They have to really be lived and breathed in order for it to be authentic and for for people to push behind you and to be really motivated by it. Yeah, it's interesting because I think there's a bigger idea here, which is beyond even business or gain side or human first, which is I think in the old world, information was very scarce. It was hard to get transparency wasn't there. And so I think institutions could say one thing and do another, whether it was a company or a government or whatever. And and people would trust them because they didn't know any better. But now it's so easy to know the truth about everything because it's just out there on the internet, whether it's a glass door or g2.com or whatever it is. So if you say one thing and do another, what you do is you break people's trust and then they get cynical. That's why so many people are cynical right now because there's so many institutions 
that say one thing and do another. And I think that that time has ended. You can't be inauthentic anymore. You have to pick the side that you're on and be authentic about that because people figure out the truth in like five minutes of Googling. I mean, that's just the reality, so. Well, and also we're all human beings. We all have that intuition that tells us when something is authentic and when someone's being transparent. You can't get away from that. Going back to that authenticity, you said something about you not being perfect, which is true. None of us are perfect. And I know that you've written about this before. I love the fact that you are prepared to stand up and be authentic and transparent and say, I'm not perfect. I don't know all the answers because not one person should ever know all the answers as you said right at the very beginning we're all always learning but talk to me about that what are your feelings around being vulnerable being that authentic and transparent why do you think it's important well it's interesting because I think it's a little bit about just going back to this human first idea if leaders demonstrate human first I think it's easier for everyone else to be human first as well so if leaders show up as their authentic vulnerable selves then I think it feels more natural. But if a leader is the epitome of perfection and never makes a mistake and never sweats and never has a problem, it's intimidating for anyone else to show their own true selves. And then we can't be real with each other. That's what we all lose. And Brene Brown talks about vulnerability as a superpower. And what I've experienced, first of all, I think it's easier to be vulnerable in a position of leadership, in a position of privilege, et cetera. So I think it's actually on people that are in those positions to be vulnerable because it opens up people that aren't in those positions of power to try to do it. So it's very hard to be a junior employee, let's say in an underrepresented group in a company, you're the only one who's going to be vulnerable. That's really hard. But if, if everyone around you is being vulnerable and real, it's a little bit easier. So I think it's actually a responsibility for people in power. Um, and what I found is it feels so natural then. Because you know what they say, the easiest thing to remember is the truth. So let me just be totally honest with people about what I'm feeling and when I get stressed and what the problems are and what I'm disappointed in myself about. And I've gone through a lot of like personal development and stuff. So usually I can translate most things that I might externalize and say, I'm mad at this person, but usually I'm mad at myself. That's the very common self-development thing you go through. And I try to share that with people. Examples would be like, I was very lonely as a kid. And I still feel extremely insecure about whether people like me, even though there's thousands of people that follow me, I feel very insecure. So anytime something doesn't go my way, my instinct, the image in my head is like a kid not letting me sit with them at lunch. That's the image that goes to my head. Literally like uh, Kelly, like on churn notices, which is crazy. It's like a customer's churning and I take it like they don't like me. That's obviously not true. That's not what the customer's thinking. But I tell people that because that's the feeling that goes to my head. Or the other narrative, as we've talked about, is my parents' approval. That's a real thing. And I'm always thinking about that. Being open with people about those things and what you're struggling with. And I think it's just really, it's contagious then. This has been a journey for me, by the way, for people listening. It's not like I just overnight went from non-human first to human first, totally like siloed to vulnerable. It, It all went a journey. And actually one of the big steps, I still remember to this day, seven, eight years ago, we had our first really big company get together. Maybe we're 100 or 200 people And we went to a nice place in Napa Valley in California. It was the first time I'd ever really talked about some of these feelings of being lonely and stuff like that in front of the company. It was about vulnerability. And that was the beginning of all of it. The talk you saw at Pulse was based on that. Because once I did it to our employees, I was like, oh, I should do this to the world. I did this talk. Everyone really appreciated it. I heard very nice things. and felt like people opened up. And then there were different breakout sessions where our employees were presenting to each other. And Julia, one of our product managers, who's not against anymore, but still like a dear friend, she presented and talked about anxiety. She was actually presenting 
And then halfway through talked about how she was feeling anxious. And the whole audience was like, we love you, Julia. We're here for you, et cetera, et cetera. And it was just like amazing because she wouldn't have done that if I hadn't done that. And right then many other people now do it. And it's just now very normalized in our culture. People will cry and it's fine. The goal isn't to prevent people from feeling bad. It's to enable people to feel whatever they're feeling. The reason I, I started smirking there is because literally just as you said the word cry, I'd started welling up because I love this articulation of an organization where you can be authentic and you can, yeah. as you say, tell people how you're feeling. Uh, because some of the things that were going through my mind while you were talking there, Nick, is you said about people in positions of power have a responsibility to be vulnerable so that it makes it easier for people to feel that that is okay and normalized, as you say. I talk about culture and leadership a lot on this podcast, but leadership for me can be any age, any position. It's about qualities and motivation and and inspiration. I think whilst you say about the responsibility, which I do love, I also think for the individual who is expressing the vulnerability, it is better for them to be vulnerable than for them to put on that facade. That's right. Being in charge all the time and knowing all the answers and having to lead and command everything rather than letting the team around them do the things that they're good at because the energy that we all put into that facade is a waste of energy that's it kelly that's it you just nailed it i've gotten much more vulnerable and comfortable and over the years and a lot of it's some personal development coaching i've done and by the way i have tons of privilege and power so it's way easier for me to do that But I can say just from my own personal experience, which is the only thing any of us ever know, I am so much more comfortable with everything in my life because of this. I'm just so much more comfortable. Life feels like, like it feels like it's flow and it's not always perfect. Bad things happen. Good things happen. Just like anyone, but I feel so much more flow. That's really the heart of this human first thing. And the purpose is imagine if everyone felt that way in every company they're at in the world, imagine how much better we would all be. That's that's what I think we could all achieve. Yes, that. Imagine how much better we would all be. That is what I'm imagining. And that is what I'm hoping that all of us can add to this conversation so that we can take steps in order to get there. The last thing, and you alluded to these earlier, uh, and I love them, so I think it's worth talking about. Back to that culture piece for Gainsight, you have some incredible values that you live and breathe, and you've talked about how you manage that and how you instill that into the company, even as you're scaling. But talk to us about the values. What are they and where did they come from? Oh my gosh, yeah. So the values are how it all started. So in some some ways, we've gotten kind of reverse chronological order with this uh, podcast. I guess when you think about your development as a leader, in some ways, every experience sets you up for the next one. My quick professional stories, I did a startup in college. It was really fun, but didn't work out. Then I started my career as a product manager, then a director of product management, then like general manager in a, in a bigger company. And then I got my first CEO job, which is a company before Gainsight. And then now I've been doing Gainsight for about nine years. In that journey, in every iteration, I've become more prescriptive about culture and values. Because although I didn't have the term human first, I always had this feeling inside me, what we're talking about. There's been something there. When I was a general manager at a bigger company, I didn't have articulated values because it was part of a bigger company. They had values, but I had sort of a style of culture. And then when I went to be my CEO for the first time, we came up with three values and they were service, reliability, and compassion for my last company. And um, those felt really real. And then with Gainsight, because it was very beginning and it was just, just baby company, 
like I could do it all from scratch the right way. On day one, the three values that we started with, which were golden rule, treat people the way you'd want to be treated, which is by the way, like a core underpinning to everything we're talking about is a concept that's like in almost every religion and every culture. It's truly, it's truly remarkable. Easiest to describe, hardest to do, right? And then success for all, which is something that we define and in some ways also captures the spirit of this, which is winning for us means all of our stakeholders winning, our customers, our employees, employees, families, the community around us, our partners and our investors, not just the shareholders. And, and when you think about that phrase, success for all, that fits so well with customer success, fits very yeah. neatly with what we do. And then childlike joy, which again, my own phrasing was bring the kid in you to work every day. You know, that was it. Kids have that creativity and that energy. They don't have as much of that armor that we've built up over the years. So those are the first three values, like from the beginning. And then actually what's interesting is if you listen to those three values, golden rule, success for all, and childlike joy, after a couple of years, I felt they were incomplete. And actually the joke I would make to people is that you could think that we were running a bed and breakfast, not a software company. So there was something missing there because we were also ambitious. And so we added to, in 2015, Shoshin, which is the Japanese word for beginner's mind. That's something I'm super passionate about learning and just honestly always being open-minded to getting better. And it doesn't matter who I tell new Gainsight employees, you have the best ideas. I want to hear from you because I've tried all my ideas already and you have fresh ideas. And so beginner's mind. And then finally stay thirsty, which is all about this idea that we have this inner drive to, to do more and to really maximize our potential. And so those are five values. They are very core to what we do. Human first in some ways was the abstraction of all that. How would you describe all of that? And that's in 20, like, 17 or 16, I think then we came up with human first on top of that. I have heard you present those a number of times at Pulse before, but randomly I spoke to Dan Steinman a couple of weeks ago. He brought up Shoshin as part of the conversation around the yeah. leadership, because obviously Gainsight is a good example in his career. It's funny, no matter how many times I heard you present at Pulse, it was when we were having a conversation around it that I absolutely understood the brilliance behind it. I have a number of mentees and whenever they change roles, they get back into that awkward, uncomfortable position of, I don't know anything, I don't know anyone, I don't know how it all works. I don't have the power to say anything until I've figured it all out, in case I say the wrong thing or in case I ask a stupid question. But Shoshin, from the very first day, gives you that permission and actually reminds you of the power and the value that you have when you're in a role brand new you bring fresh eyes to it you bring fresh perspective at it that is when in a new company you could even be at your most valuable because I totally agree you know it's, it's interesting Kelly because I like I'm very fortunate to be able to meet a lot of other CEOs and I love learning and there's a limitless reservoir of things you could learn about leadership for the whole theme of your podcast yeah. and of course I've met CEOs of companies that are much bigger than Gainsight and I learned so much from them it's just amazing and they maybe they've been working 20 years longer than I have and that's awesome I learn a ton from like 22 year old CEOs who've never done it before yeah. Because you know what? They didn't have any preconceived notions of how business is supposed to work or how you're supposed to run a company. And they're just figuring it out. And the world changes a lot, by the way, too, right? Like the world changes a lot. So they're doing things in a very modern way. So I love learning from quote unquote experts and, and quote unquote beginners. Everyone gives me a learning opportunity. That's another connection there that I'm not sure that I've really understood existed because as I said earlier, I truly believe that, so this inspiring future leaders, this isn't about learning from the experts. It's about learning from anybody, an opinion or a, a perspective or motivation or is, is inspiring to others. I'm a trustee for a charity that works in Ghana and our direct beneficiaries 
our school children. I've had the co-founders on the podcast and I talked to them about the children being a type of leader because they've got bright ideas. They haven't been beaten down by the system and by culture's expectations yet. We should be learning from them rather than beating it out of them and making them do what we've been doing all of these years. And I don't think I'd ever uh, made that connection before. So the Shoshin is becoming more and more important in the kind of conversations and debates in my head as well. I think we're going to have to end it there. But Nick, I have had such a wonderful time talking to you today. Uh, Thank you for a very human and authentic conversation. Uh, And I hope in the future that we can get you back on and talk about some other topics within this very broad conversation around inspiring future leaders. I love the Kelly. I got to say, I've, I've done hundreds and hundreds of podcasts and I've had more fun and engagement on this one than almost anyone I've done. I could talk to you for hours. I say this genuinely, even this conversation, I've taken away so much as well. Cause I do think that's the whole spirit of this is like every interaction is opportunity to learn. I've learned so much just hearing what resonates with you and what you're reflecting on. And so thank you for helping me learn as well. Oh, Nick, you're going to make me cry again. That's <laughs> so much to me to have you say something like that. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for a wonderful conversation. Many thanks to those of you listening. Uh, and I hope many people do listen to this episode. Watch out for the next episode next week of the Inspiring Future Leaders podcast. Bye for now.